0: Hey, yo, welcome into the CHGO White Sox post game show. Presented by Points Bet. Use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk free bets up to two. Thousand dollars Welcome into Studio B of our CHGO offices here in the West Loop of Chicago. I'm the host of the CHGO White Sox podcast, Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Alongside me, as always, is Herb Lawrence. Hello. You can follow him on Twitter at Ecknerwall23. He's the CHGO White Sox community leader. We are here to recap the 42nd loss of the 2022 Chicago White Sox season. They lost in nine innings to Bo Brisky and the boys up from Detroit. The Tigers defeat the White Sox 2-1. Herb, this is the second victory of the Tigers over the White Sox. The White Sox are now 5-2 against the Motor City Kitties, and we knew this team was hot coming in, the Detroit Tigers, but um, they didn't win this game. The White Sox just didn't grasp this. The White Sox just didn't give that You
1: know, winning effort tonight, I guess. No, and Bo Borowski was uh, average out there today. Bo Bridges. Uh, Bo Bridges, yeah, that's it. uh, Was average today. He was just not great. The White Sox bats didn't show up. The approach at the plate was wrong. Um, Just execution was terrible. He was no hitting the White Sox through six innings, wasn't he? Or through the sixth Mm -hmm. inning. Into the sixth inning. And finally, when they get a hit, our manager. Our says, guy Tony. says, you know what? Fuck all that. I just saw you, <laughs> Reese <laughs> McGuire. Good job last time versus Bo Brisky. Nine pitch at bat, you battle him. You know what I'm going to do? Just after that guy got the first hit off of Bo Brisky, who the pitcher usually, after giving up a first hit, is rattled a little bit, has to recompose himself. He's a young pitcher. I'm going to give him a free out. Sacrifice bunt. Right. Reese McGuire for having Josh Harrison go to second. And our guy Tom Fornelli, who was at Tweet Sox, said the White Sox, after the Harrison hit, had a 45% chance of winning. After the bunt by Reese McGuire, it dropped to 42%. Giving up outs is always dumb. Always dumb. But dumb dumbass Tony La Russa. I'm sorry for calling him names. I shouldn't call him names. Tony Russa fucked up there. Now, the hitters didn't hit. I'm not putting this all on Tony, but right there, right there is a prime example of Tony costing the team when he's using his old school mentality of bunting, sacrifice, bunting. And then later in the game, I'm, I know I'm jumping all over, but I'm pissed. He pinch hits Reese McGuire. Right move to do that. Skip- lefty versus lefty. You're skipping something else. I'm pissed about too. Keep going. But okay. Lefty versus you got lefty. Got more for Tony. He pinch hits him for switch hitter uh, Larry Garcia, who hits right handed. But I don't know if Tony knows this. Sebastian Zavala, Sebi is his name. He's hitting the ball hard off the cover as of late. And he had to come in the game if the White Sox were to tie that game in the ninth inning anyway. There's multiple reasons why he messed up. And because Lurie's not good. Secondly, because Seve's really good. And he's hitting really hard. So Tony cost you at least twice tonight where he fucked up moves that regular managers don't. I'm a regular 43-year-old dude that never played one game of high school baseball past. This is a freshman A or freshman B team. And I knew that move. You guys out there who are watching and listening knew that move was wrong. Why does not our Hall of Fame manager not that know that move? Well, and here's
0: the Hall of Fame manager again, and this is the thing I was pissed off about in the top of the ninth inning, throwing out Tanner Banks in a one to nothing game. He did this again in San Francisco. It was a zero zero game in the bottom of the eighth, and Tanner Banks gets thrown out. Jimmy Lambert and Tanner Banks are your guys in a very close one run ball game that come in out of the bullpen. We saw Uh, and I was going to say Joe Ryan, that's the guy from uh, Minnesota, (laughs) uh, Joe Kelly. We saw him warming up in the bullpen at the same time as Tanner Banks. So he was available. He was ready. Tony didn't use him. And Tanner Tanner Banks in that inning, uh, I believe he walked a guy and then let in that guy uh, with a hit. So... There you go, and, and you're not using your best guys, and you're not giving your team the chance to even tie the game up. They ch- they tied the game up in the ninth inning if, if Tanner Banks doesn't give up, give up that run in the ninth inning. You're not going to your best players, and it's, it's just frustrating. I don't understand because they are losing. Tony needs to go to the losing bullpen. It doesn't matter if it's by one run, two runs, three runs, four runs. They are losing, so in comes
1: Jimmy Lambert, in comes Tanner Banks. Give your guys more of a shot. Come on. And in that... Tanner Banks faced the requisite three hitters he needed to face before the Torkelson at bat. So you can still go to Joe Kelly, fix the mistake you made. Or you could say, all right, I don't like the lefty ma- lefty-righty lefty matchup. Yes, Tucker Barnhart is a switch hitter, but he gave up switch hitting a couple years ago. He's just hitting righty for the first time in a while. So let's go and get Tucker Barnhart except, instead of Spencer Torkelson. Any of those moves I would have been better with, Then him pitching to Spencer Torkelson right there in that spot. Now, Spencer is hitting below 200, but he's still a young, highly touted prospect who can hit a fastball over the plate from a lefty, and he crushed it. So, yeah, Tony's been messing up, but the hitting, we're going to get to those people. We're going to definitely get to the people who did not get the job done versus Bo Borowski, whatever his name is. Yeah, uh, Bill Bob Bixby, Bill Bixby. Bill Bixby.
0: Bill Bixby. Uh, and I misspoke there. Uh, Tanner Bakes gave up two hits. He did not allow a walk, but he allowed two hits, and the runner ended up scoring. Um, just frustrating, all, all together. And, and you could look at the, the, the hitting side. You could look at the bullpen side. You could look... Uh, I, I don't really think there was a defensive error today. Um, so, I mean, really, you could just look at the hitting again, and the starting pitching was fantastic. Dylan Cease is the big positive out of this one. Uh, but before we go into it, is there anything else that
1: sticks out negatively before we yes. go into some of the positives you get the second hit of the game of by the White Sox Jose Abreu mm. good hit awesome hit then immediately Jose Abreu makes a base running mistake oh right how many times are we gonna be caught on the bases a lot of these two plans out here for the White Sox it's getting frustrating it's happening from our best players Timmy's done it multiple times Jose just did it right here you've seen Yoan. you've seen Adam Engel do it the other day What's going on? What's really going on? It's it's very frustrating. This team keeps on doing the same shit to beat themselves. As Sean said, Tigers didn't win this game. The White Sox lost this game
0: yeah and that's the thing I mean John S. says TLR sucks but so do the players on the team uh, I don't know if the players suck but they are definitely underperforming uh, and and hey at this point you keep underperforming you're going to suck you're not going to make the playoffs and that's exactly what this team has told you their goal is this is the second year in a row uh, that this team has made the playoffs as a franchise first time in franchise history they made to back to back playoffs and then they're going to follow it up by clearly being the favorites in the AL Central and right now they're in third place six games back and three games below 500 um, this was supposed to be an important 15 game stretch in 14 days versus the AL Central and the White Sox are currently one and three they are going to have to have a miraculous uh, end of this stretch to even finish
1: above 500 and I have no faith in them to do it and another thing about somebody was talking about Tony's relationship with Lurie and it was a tweet and I don't know who said it It was a great one if you guys are right there in the chat and know the person who said it it's perfect Tony thinks Lurie is like um, the guy in Minnesota. Arise. Arise? Oh, geez. Yeah, Tony thinks Lurie is Luis Arise. Like, he uses him as such. Like, he started a bunch of playoff games last year because he loves Lurie Garcia. He started a bunch of games this this week, this month, even though Josh Harrison was hitting the ball off the cover and playing spectacular defense. He's like, "Mm, get your ass on the bench. It's Lurie time. So, yeah. And I saw a person say, you can't blame Tony when they scored under three runs. Yeah, you can because he's actively costing you runs by bunting. Yeah, I mean, he took in the
0: sixth inning, he took the uh, ability to score runs away from the White Sox in the sixth inning. And then you could even say in the ninth inning, exactly uh, using Leary over Sebi. Um, I don't know how Andrew Vaughn was feeling, too, but we knew he was an option on the bench. Uh, I don't know if he was completely out for the day. He said he was dealing with a sickness, um, but still uh, not even so good enough for an at bat. Was he down with the sickness? He was apparently he was down yes. uh, with the sickness. The yeah. uh, <laughs> big I think it's Chicago, yeah. it Chicago band, right? I think uh, I think they might even be from Evergreen Park. Yeah, I think I think they're real local. But you know,
1: we got so many great bands like Ario Speedwagon and I heard my guy Ch- Chirizzi talking about uh, oh, uh, local local H. H being the best Chicago band. And I said that's a Zion band.
0: And oh, was, he got upset. I was listening yeah, you know. to their yeah.
1: I listened to him last night too. Yeah, he was mad. I was like, "Zion's almost in Wisconsin, dude." Um, but he got hit a fair point. Scott has lived here for like years in in Chicago. Zion. Um, oh, but yeah, I I would vote for Disturbed in their one song that hit over Wah! over Local H, even though uh their hits are great. Bound to the floor. Oh. That one's good. Just so it's great. the only one
0: I know. Um, I, I wasn't from the 90s, so I can't go too deep on uh, Local H with you. I can't go deep on Dylan Cease uh, uh, pitching today. It was fantastic. He was excellent, shockingly, uh, versus the Tigers like he's been throughout his entire career. I think the first big thing we got to get to, though, we, we talked a little bit about this. Ethan Katz and Dylan Cease visited a Fisherman's Wharf yes, out did. in San Francisco, and they had the whole video about Dylan Cease talking about how important uh, Ethan Katz is and how he's fixed all of his pitches with him. It was a real cute video, well, a, a little bonding between Katz. Pats and uh, Dylan C's.
1: It was good to see. Uh, they were there, I think, Thursday <laughs> afternoon. I was there on Friday morning, and so I was like, damn, I just missed them. They were just chilling out, having bro time. He was very complimentary of each other. It was good to see the pitching coach and uh, pitcher be that close to go out with each other. On their off day to have an enjoyable time in San Francisco. And Dylan Cease with the Matrix like moves, dodging seagulls left and right. I don't know if people saw that. I missed that. Oh, yeah. He's talking about his poem, his slider poem that he wrote. And then, dude, brother. I just went out and struck out 11 dudes right after that, after I wrote that slider poem. Yeah, sick.
0: All the guys thought it was great. Uh, I loved it. I'm sick. And uh, let's talk about his slider. I tried writing my own Dylan Cease uh, (laughs) slider poem, and it didn't really work out. He was talking about being in the shower, listening to piano music, and it starting his brain up. Uh, (laughs) Clearly, something's been working for the damn kid because he's been real impressive since May 29th. Let's look at Dylan Cease's pitch mix today. Uh, 46 sliders today. He used that the most out of any pitches, 46 sliders for Dylan Cease and 101 pitches. So he used the slider 46% of the time. He used his fastball 40% of the time, used the knuckle curve 10% of the time and he threw 5 changeups as well. But the big story again is the slider. He got 24 swings on that slider and 11 of them were swings and whiffs, uh, swings and whiffs, uh, 46% whiff rate on that slider, absolutely elite, Uh, 39% called strike plus whiff percentage on his slider. They call that a money pitch, uh, Herb. When you're getting that many whiffs, when you're locating in the zone like that, when you're not giving up hits off that uh, slider, it's a money pitch. And yes, he did give up the one home run to Javi Baez, but hey, when a guy has that much power like Javi Baez and he gets lucky to put the barrel on it, Sometimes ball goes far and it, it barely scraped over. Still stayed in the bullpen uh, down the left field line. So you know we saw this with the Oriole game. Dylan Cease gave up a homer to uh, Ariuz, Um
1: and then we see oh, yeah. this with with, with
0: Baez. But only one earned run for
1: Cease. Another great outing for him. And Dave Barisa brings up a good point. And I was saying in the uh, while we're watching the game with you and Sh- uh, you and Stephen, like his slider and I, we've been seeing it, especially to left-handers. It pretty much is a twelve to six. Curveball motion, but with more velocity. It's just, whew, it's a strike initially, and that's what the hitters see. And then they see it fall off the table. And I was telling you, he's like, why do they swing at those balls? They know they're not going to hit hard. And they must think, like you were saying, like they must think that they're going to golf that shit off the ground and go for a home run almost like Javi did. But that ball was left in the, in the zone. And so Javi kept his hands back and had enough power to get that ball on the barrel and crush it out to the left center field or left field. But most part, Slider was untouchable today. And he knew it. It's, it must feel great. Like, in that one inning, he struck out two guys with the high fastballs. Mm-hmm. And I think it was Robbie Grossman who came up and he fouled off a 1-2 fastball. And he was thinking, okay, <laughs> he struck out the other two guys with a high fastball. He just tried to strike me out with a high fastball. Then Dylan's like, knuckle curve. Yeah. Robbie Grossman's like, didn't even swing the bat. He's like, I <laughs> thought he was throwing a fastball. And it was just right there, right in the middle of the zone. I was like, what a pitcher. That is pitching. That is understanding what the other hitter is trying to do to you and going the opposite way. Working the count, thinking ahead, a move ahead of him. He's playing chess. While Robbie Grossman's out here playing checkers.
0: Well, and it's right. Like, how does he become the ultimate chess player is now the question because he is getting really damn good at this game of chess. Jesus Shuttlesworth says all Seas needs to do is throw more strikes and he'll be the best pitcher in the AL and maybe baseball. And that kind of uh, shows itself in the Javi Baez at best uh, at bat. The first pitch uh, was a fouled uh, ball, forcing fastball, you know, kind of near the up uh, upper part of the zone. Then the second pitch, we still cease trying to aim it a little bit. You know, he's missing by a couple inches on the outside edge. He's missing a little high. You know, he he isn't perfect just yet. And the second pitch he threw to Baez in that at-bat, he got him out on the first at-bat, second at-bat, he missed high and in versus high ba- Baez. You know, if he hit his spot right there, it makes absolute sense to then go to a slider, low and away, change the eye level completely, change the, the, the direction, uh, you know, go north and, and, and in, and then go away and out. Uh, and then that's usually the way that Dylan has tried to be working. Uh, and then the next pitch, he throws a slider, but it gets too much of the middle of the plate. Uh, stayed down, uh, but was too much in the middle of the plate. And Javi Baez, you know, he was second in MVP voting before. Guys like that will do damage to you. But but for the most part, uh, a really great job uh, from Dylan Cease tonight. And someone asked, I think it was Dave uh, Barista, asked, what's the difference between his slider and his curveball? Um, it is velocity. Uh, Cease usually averages around 86 miles per hour, 86.8 miles per hour on his slider, his knuckle curve about 82.2 miles per hour. So there's about a, you know, a four mile per hour, five mile per hour difference between his slider and knuckle curve. But the big thing is just the break and the way it moves, uh, ceases horizontal break on his slider is around two inches. His knuckle curve is around one inch, but he gets 57 inches of break on his knuckle curve. 36 inches of break horizontally on his slider. So it's just more horizontal movement uh, on the slider and it's more vertical drop on the curveball. And he, he he has a very unique curveball. Not a lot of 12 to 6 curveballs are, are still in the league. Um, so he has a very unique curveball as well with the way it just comes over the top to hitters. So he's just a really filthy guy. I mean, this stuff is nasty. When you're able to throw 98, you're able to throw this tight slider To righties or lefties, guys are just absolutely confused. And especially with the way that he's been able to locate, this guy is unstoppable. And he could be the best pitcher in Major League Baseball if he's able to develop a changeup. If he has those four pitches like watch truly watch out because he won't even need to locate he won't even need to aim and, and nail those spots because guys will just have no clue uh, on what to do uh you know stoney has talked about the difficulties of power pitchers uh and them developing change-ups but uh I, I don't know if dylan's ever able to figure it out uh truly truly watch out hitters will be screwed
1: and like jesus said like i think from time to time in the game he outthinks himself. He's getting scared or seeing something that he that's not present. Where he's throwing balls way outside the box. So he has very little of that this year than he had last year. But you still see glimpses of that. Where he's it seems like he's scared of pitching the ball over the plate because he doesn't want to get hit hard. And so you see balls that are in the right-handed or left-handed batter's box, non-competitive pitches. He does that a lot. So I need him to just understand as I said last time I'm Dylan Cease I had the filthiest slider My fastball plays 98 plus my curveball they can't hit if I execute the pitch and we saw the, with the curveball and the change up change up what he threw five of them and they did not touch it today yeah. he doesn't throw it a lot because he's not confident in it once he's confident as you said unstoppable well and the confidence has been there that's why i had eight
0: strikeouts today and if you're watching chgo bets you know that i stayed away from dylan Cease over seven and a half strikeouts just because it wasn't at plus money uh but the best way to support chgo is to download the points bet app and use code chgo when you sign up if you do that right now you get two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars that's not it if you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you'll receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from the CHGO Locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free T-shirt from the CHGO Locker all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet, and you can take that $50 and put it towards Dylan Cease striking out batters because it's happening at a very historic rate at this point for Dylan Cease in 2022. If you have any questions, you can email PointsBet at allchgo.com, and we will help you out. PointsBet's your home for live-in-play betting, and it just got even better. If you see an edge in the game you're watching, if your favorite team is primed for a comeback, don't just watch the game. Bet along with it live. There's more live betting, more live markets, and faster live cash-outs with the PointsBet app. So what are you waiting for? It's time to elevate your live bet. Any game. Download the PointsBet app right now and use promo code CHGO when you sign up to get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. Again, once the game starts, don't just bet. Live your bet life with PointsBet. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER for crisis counseling and referral services. And our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I know Herb uses it. I started taking AG1s because I started this job. They sent over for some free samples, and my life has changed because of it. I've been on it now for about three months, and I look forward to it each and every morning with one delicious scoop of ag I absorb 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help me start my day right. It helps me improve my nervous system if I'm feeling a little bit anxious, my immune system, I haven't been sick in a bit, Uh, my energy, I feel really... Uh, energetic right now at 1040 p.m. And I feel like that has to do with my Athletic Greens. It's lifestyle friendly, whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. And Athletic Greens has over 7,002 five-star reviews. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. Herb puts it in the smoothies. That's it. No needs for millions of different pills and supplements to look out for your health. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your, for free for your with your first purchase, all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com chgo sox Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash socks to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. It's time now to go out to the place where the Sox lost 2-1. to one. We go to Guaranteed Rate Field to talk with the C-H-G-O White Sox beat reporter, Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter, at Vinny Duber. Howdy, Vinny hey guys how are you tonight very good what's the what's the sweatshirt Sweat shirt?
2: it's a hot one it's a t-shirt oh, short sure. sleeves. we got ACDC going okay yeah right.
0: it looked it looked kind of like a, a little stitched so maybe it would have been like a nice little stitched sweatshirt but yeah it is very hot uh, you would have been kind of psycho to wear a, a sweatshirt today who'd you talk to after the game?
2: Yeah, we heard from Tony La Russa. Obviously, we also heard from Dylan Cease, the starting pitcher, and uh, AJ Pollock. Uh, everybody kind of scratching their heads here, uh, you know, halfway through the season, 81 games in. This is not where this team was supposed to be, uh, not where this team wants to be, not where this team thinks it should be. And yet, here it is, uh, well under 500, uh, and uh, it's 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 not good <laughs> to, to to put it lightly. Um, but yeah, the the unexplainable is kind of how these White Sox are putting it, uh, looking around in that locker room and seeing the talent that they have the roster that they have and then looking at the standings and and seeing what's going on there so um, you know it it, it remains befuddling that this offense is uh, unable to string games together in which it shows exactly what it's capable of Uh, yesterday obviously was so much uh, uh, you know back to normal if you will with Aloy Jimenez back in the lineup nine runs on the scoreboard uh, and tonight Offense did absolutely zilch until the ninth inning, when it did just next to nothing, getting one more run with a couple of hits. But um, it is uh, it has not been pretty. Uh, if you look at the big picture here so far for these White Sox, and uh, asked to talk, asked to kind of put a finger on what's going on after the game, they couldn't really do so.
1: Did Tony speak about why he went with Lurie instead of Sebi Zavala in that ninth inning versus instead of I mean, when he pinched hit for Reese McGuire? I understood the move there because a lefty versus lefty, but. Did not understand why he went with Lurie instead of Sebi.
2: Must have just thought it was the way to get the job done there in that moment. Uh, you know that he was—he was—he did not talk about that decision. Was not asked about that decision after the post-game. Uh, but uh, you know, it—it. It, listen, they—they they had the best inning of the night. Uh, you know, in that ninth inning there, um, whether that uh, turns ve- drastically different based on who he brings off the bench, we will never know. But um, certainly, uh, that inning was not. Uh, marred because of that decision it was you know the best inning they had all night but uh you know if if that if listen if your if your night is hinging on a semi-zavala pinch hit uh your offense obviously did not do the job and they had two hits through the first eight innings so uh it should never be in a position where that is the case for this white Sox team with how good this lineup is supposed to be
0: quotes over the weekend about Kendall Graveman talking about leadership on this team. And I wonder what AJ Pollock uh, maybe has to say, or, or ha- if he said anything about leadership, him being a veteran, being through so many teams, uh, you know, probably seeing some good Arizona teams, some bad Arizona teams being on the Death Star that is the Dodgers for the past couple of years. Um, has AJ talked about maybe his role on this team or, or the leadership in that clubhouse and how he views it?
2: He is not, Uh, he he spoke tonight just kind of in general about what this team has been able to do and and looked at it as kind of, like I mentioned, an unexplainable situation that they're in right now. Uh, To a man, everybody on this team talks about the solution being to keep working. Uh, To a man, everybody on this team compliments the daily work that this team does. Uh, It is not, uh, Herb, as you say so often, it does not appear to be the process uh, that the White Sox are worried about right now But the results have been uh, dramatic in the opposite direction of what they want to be doing right now. So um, you talked to Tim Anderson. We talked to Tim Anderson before the game, uh, said a lot of the same stuff. Keep working. You talked to Josh Harrison a uh, a couple of times over the last few days. Keep plugging away, he said. I mean, this is kind of the strategy that the White Sox are going with right now, that obviously applies to individual players and their individual routines on a daily basis, not necessarily roster construction or anything like that, which those guys are not in charge of. Uh, but the, the general feeling is that keep going and, and hope that this turns around. Obviously uh, the, it has not to this point. Um, it is not too late mathematically, um, but, you know, as, as you've heard me say that about a billion times so far this season, every time I say it, it's going to be more and more late. So uh, this is obviously something that needs to be different. They need to play way differently. They need to have way better results, uh, way better than the ones that they're having right now. White Sox, uh, seem, the players at least, seem to uh, believe the solution is to just keep working uh, the way that they
1: have been all year. Dylan Cease shoves again, and I know that he probably was like, you know, I shouldn't give up that home run to Javi Baez, but I'm, I'm got, he's got to feel some pressure to go out and throw some zeros out there because the offense just isn't performing. What do you have to say about his performance and then maybe the offensive struggles? I know as a team player, he probably didn't get into that too tough.
2: Yeah, I mean, he, he said a lot of the same things that we've been hearing. You look around the you look around the uh, locker room and you see the talent, and it's strange, it's shocking that the results have not mirrored that talent. And uh, you know, he says a lot of the same things: keep working hard. Everybody's working hard. Things are going to have to turn around eventually. It's not too late quite yet. Um, I don't. I don't. You know whether he feels pressure or not to go up and throw up a bunch of zeros. That's what he did tonight. Uh, That you know that's what he's been doing on a fairly regular basis for the entire season. Uh, He's been great. He was great tonight. Uh, Certainly uh, against the Tiger team. You know he he was able to nitpick that he maybe issued a couple too many walks, but he gave up one run. Give have one run in six innings. Your offense is supposed to be able to to help you out when you do that. And the White Sox offense was not tonight. It has not been able to do that so many times for all of these starting pitchers this season. Uh, It has been a trend through three months, and it needs to stop being one if these White Sox are going to do anything but sit here right around 500 for the rest of the year.
0: There was a great video that the uh, White Sox Twitter account tweeted out of uh, Ethan Katz and Dylan Cease walking around Fishman's Wharf uh, in San Francisco. started off immediately of somebody uh, calling Dylan Cease's mustache sexy, so I just immediately thought of you uh, just with all the mustache talk. There's a ton of mustache mustache talk that we're going to get to with you uh, later uh, because people are asking about so many mustaches for you because they don't want to talk about this game. Uh, but with Dylan Cease, he just talked about how Ethan helped him so much and how he's helped him grow. Um, has there been any talk of that in the past couple of games just because the results have been there? That slider has looked next level. Has, has Dylan kind of talked about that evolution to getting to this process or getting to yeah, this point?
2: I, yeah. And I mean, it's been it's been daily. You know, since Ethan Katz got here, um, you know, I, I think we we heard, uh, you know, throughout the off season how much, or you know, how, throughout the off seasons, the last few off seasons, how much uh, Ethan Katz did work with Carlos Rodon and Dylan Cease right two off seasons ago and then was so frustrated to not be able to work with these guys uh this past season with off season with the lockout going on um and so it, it really is a daily thing i mean uh, even think about Lucas Giolito who you know we we you know he was the ace of the staff before Ethan Katz even got here But it is a daily working with Ethan Katz to make sure that he's getting back on track when he falls off of it, or to make sure he stays the dominant pitcher that he's been in the past. Um, Ethan Katz has a great relationship with Johnny Cueto from when they worked together in San Francisco. Uh, This pitching staff is in very good hands, and and certainly Dylan Cease is a prime example of that. We heard, you know, several springs ago from Yasmani Grandal calling Dylan Cease a guy who could be a future Cy Young candidate, and boom, here it is. I mean, these his teammates, it, the people involved with this organization have always seen it from Dylan Cease as they – now that Ethan Katz is here or he's been here for a couple of years now, they have been able to turn him into that guy because you can't help but look up today and think that Dylan Cease might make the all-star team, that Dylan Cease might receive some Cy Young votes. I mean, it, it, it's a tough competition. We're not saying he's the best pitcher in baseball quite yet. But I think that's where a lot of these guys think that he's going. And uh, as long as Ethan Katz can still help him to, to to do that, can still be here helping him on a daily basis, there's really no reason to think that that's not possible uh, with what we've seen from Dylan over the last couple seasons, particularly this one.
1: After the first hit was hit in the sixth inning off of Bo Brisky. Tony decides to do a sacrifice bunt there with Reese McGuire, who had a, a bat in the third inning that was much better than expected. Nine pitches he eventually got out. But did Tony speak about the choice to go for a sack bunt in the sixth inning with Reese McGuire instead of hitting away? He totally
2: did. And uh, he, he said, you know, to to the way that things had been happening, that was the team's first hit, uh, you know, the, the two – or, yeah – what two times through the order? Uh, basically nothing doing for uh, the White Sox offensively. You got two guys coming up in Anderson and Pollock, who he had a ton of faith in to get a run runner, runner home from second base. Certainly, Ta has the numbers to back that up, and and you know Pollock's got his own track record. If you go back however many years, so. Um, yeah, he was he was perfectly fine with that decision, and I'll be honest, I'm totally fine with that decision. I know everybody hates bunting so much, but uh, that was your ninth place hitter uh, in a game where you weren't doing anything offensively, and you only needed one run to tie the game up. Uh, I know everybody hates bunting and is not going to ever move off bunting, regardless of whatever. But if if you're ever gonna bunt, in my opinion, that's probably a situation in which you would do it. Tim Anderson had a hard lu- has had a very hard luck home stand but you got to have faith that T.A. is going to hit a single to drive in a runner from second basically every time he's at, at the plate.
1: But that's a half of my point because he's playing for one run instead of playing for multiple runs there. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Reese McGuire has been hitting the ball pretty hard this last couple, of year, uh, couple months. You can probably try to get a hit there. If you get into a double play, I, it's never mind. It's just yeah, – I, I, mean, it, it, I just think you, it, get, you cost yourself more runs by trying to go for one run.
2: That's fine, sure, maybe, but you're, you're trying, you're playing catch up at that point. You know what I mean? I think everybody looks at it so much in a vacuum. Um, and, and and again, I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong. Do whatever you want to do. Uh, I, if it, I'm, I have no problem with that, just because you're saying I'm going to use my guy who's hitting 230 to get the guy to second base, and then I'm going to use my guy who's hitting 310 to get to try and bring him in. It doesn't strike me as an outlandish thing. Uh, I, I know you've got your, you, everybody's got their in a vacuum stats going on there. Sean, I saw you tweet out the whole the whole chart over uh, uh, after that happened, uh, and I wonder, and I wonder, does that chart, does that chart include a guy who's hitting two thirty or a guy who's the ninth place well, hitter? I mean, it, it, I mean again, it, it's fine. If, listen, here's 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 what I'll always bring it back to. If we're gonna spend uh, multi- if we're gonna spend multiple minutes talking about whether or not they should have bunted one time in a game, you know what they should have done? They should have gotten more hits throughout the rest of the game. That's Absolutely. what they should have done.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I wasn't even the one to bring it up. I wasn't even trying to get into it because I know Tony is Tony. Um, you know, Tony's been doing this for a very, very, very long time, and I know that he has his thoughts and opinions on how to run a baseball team. I mean, that's just I, his he, his opinion disagrees with mine. Uh, that's 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 all. And I, I just think too, like you, you bring up the point. The run expectancy doesn't, you know, factor in how good of a, a hitter Reese McGuire is, but also Reese McGuire saw nine pitches in his first at bat. He had a three two count. He could have possibly drawn a walk. Um, and yeah, it's and not he like, up. It, yeah, that's just true. Saying. Um, I, no, I know, but uh, like, but yeah. AJ Pollock too, the guy that you know, if you're if you're getting one out, and Tim Anderson, you know, knocks. Josh Harrison over to third or whatever, and, and T.A. gets on. I mean, it, that's a 233 hitter in McGuire to a 239 hitter in Pollock. It's not like, you know, you, you have – I would rather have the outs and give the guys chances. That's just not me. But uh, it's definitely not the biggest story uh, here just because, again, it's it's the White Sox not hitting. You got a fantastic outing from Dylan Cease. It's the same thing with Monday where you get, you know, a great six innings from Johnny Cueto and you're not able to back him up. It's, it's the same old song and dance with the White Sox. I just thought – the biggest thing that with me and the bunting is just like – he defends Joe McEwing by saying, "Oh well, we're not scoring runs; we have to be aggressive with our sends." I just think that you know you're giving away outs in that that scenario. I think that's a stupid excuse, and I think you're giving outs away in this scenario. That's all. Um, one thing to another: giving away out scenario. Uh, Jose Abreu gets picked off second. Uh, we've seen this a bit now for the White Sox. Um, and I know people have really been hammering Tony for about accountability, and, and that word has been big around the White Sox in 2022. Did he have anything to say about Abreu getting picked off there, or, or just the team's kind of you know lack of awareness? Because they're really good when they're trying to steal bases, but they've been picked off a decent amount this year.
2: Yeah, he, he wasn't asked about that particular moment. You saw me smile because I think. I thought it was kind of funny when Abreu stuck his hand out, was looking for a looking for an inning and ending, <laughs> handshake, uh, and 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 then Tucker Barnhart like runs and like tags him really hard, and, like made a move, and I'm like, dude, he was right there. Just give him give hard ass
0: Tucker take, Barnhart.
2: Take the ball in your right hand and just do a nice little handshake with the ball. Um, well, he didn't
0: want to ta it. He wanted to make sure that the ball was in the glove. He just wanted to double true, check.
2: Very true. He's fundamental, uh, fundamentally sound. But uh, no, listen. I mean, there's been a lot of outs on the base paths. Did that one cost them the game? No, of course not, because you. you. You know, guess what? They should have hit the ball more. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, again, uh, here's the thing. I saw a lot of people getting very angry with that, with Abreu doing that, you know, at the end of that, just kind of standing there and and then sticking out the hand comically. Uh, You can't have it both ways. You can't say the team has no fun, they look dead out there, and then also get mad when someone has a little fun in a game you're losing on a play that is negative. At the end of the day, it's baseball, guys, and, uh, you know, you got to let these guys be themselves, and I think that that's there's nothing wrong with that. I, I get what you're asking about the actual result of the play. Uh, you know, a guy who was about halfway up, uh, uh, you know, halfway all the way to second base um, when a pitch didn't really get that far away. You know, it's Jose Abreu. Maybe a faster guy ends up taking off for second. In that situation, Abreu is not the speediest guy on the team, so maybe that played into it. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's listen, it's uh, – it, is it a problem? Absolutely, because you've seen so many of these base running mistakes, especially in the last couple of weeks. Is it their biggest problem right now? No, they have to get some hits.
1: <laughs> the positive I'll take away from this game besides still in cease is that ninth inning, what you talked about. They don't give up. Two-nothing versus a really tough closer in Gregory Soto, which they've gotten to him before. Andrew Vaughn hit a home run off of him earlier this year. So it's good to see the team, like, not – hang their heads after a demoralizing single by Spencer Torkson at the top of the ninth. It's good to see them give a little fight, came up short. But if they could take this, like they took the Angels game where they scored five runs, they came up a little short, and then play the next game, you know, saying, hey, okay, we came up short, but we're, we're moving in the right direction by that ninth inning. I feel that the White Sox can win these last three games with the Tigers because they're the goddamn Tigers. I don't, ugh, I'm just so frustrated the Tigers are beating us. Vinny. Well, it's
2: fu- it's well. Hey, it's funny. the the thing is like think about this. Say Abreu gets a hit, right? Or or, or Aloy gets a hit, and they and they win. They walk off. They they win three. They win three to two, with basically the offense not showing up until the ninth inning. Mm-hmm. What's the headline? Oh, they walked off two days in a row. They're back. This is the turning point that everybody has waited for. And yet, you still have eight, eight innings worth of baseball, and where they didn't do anything offensively, um, it goes to show you how uh, it, it goes to really show you everything about this team, doesn't it? It goes to show you how 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 thin those margins are in baseball, right? That everything can really turn on on just a little bit. It goes to show you how winnable this division is. That you're that you're just absolutely quiet and not doing anything through eight innings, and it was two runs. That's all you needed in the ninth inning there to to win it. Um, you know, it really is everything rolled into one. It's, man, what are they doing? And, oh, they have the capability to do this at the very end and still win. They have the capability to win. They're just not doing it right now. Um, tonight was a bad night for the, for the offense. Um, they have to do what they did in the ninth inning. Way earlier than when than that, because we've seen it a few times this year. You brought up that Angels game; they had one run through eight innings, and then all of a sudden they go nuts in the ninth and just turn it from a blowout into a one-run loss. Uh, but we've seen that a few times this year, where it's uh, you know it's been nothing for most of the game, and then they 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 do a little something at the end there. That's baseball in a way, you know. I'm sure there are a lot of teams where you could go around the league and find that. But um, listen, the the one constant, the one through line here for the White Sox is. They need to be better offensively and they need to do it throughout games, not just once in a, in, you know, in a, in a ninth inning where the, where, you know, you come so close and then it's over. And it's like, well, you had X opportunities the whole time. I mean, Tony La Russa got up there and said today about this offense, they hit the ball hard and that's true. They did, but they hit it at guys. And you know, you got to hit it more. You got to hit it harder. You got to, you got to put it where they ain't. It's, you know it's baseball, and and they're, you're not going to win baseball games if you're not scoring runs.
0: Right, and you got to you got to lift you got to lift the ball. <laughs> I think the White Sox just really couldn't find that nice uh, medium range of lifting the ball and driving the ball because it's either popping out or grounding in uh, grounding into uh, groundouts. Um, and hey, it's tough to to create offense when you're going up against Cy Briskey. Um, You know it's 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 a tough matchup. I don't blame them. Um, I really appreciate you asking Tony pregame about Aaron Bummer. Can you give the people the update?
2: yeah the update the non-update update update, yeah he's doing better there you go that's the update uh no listen this is something that I think you know really uh turned into something that the White Sox we're not hoping for, obviously, and maybe not even expecting. And this has been a more serious injury than, than initially imagined for Aaron Bummer. Uh, he is not throwing off a mound yet, and until he does, the White Sox are not going to really have a timeline on his return. So, yes, he's working. Yes, he's getting better uh, every day, according to Tony Larusa. But until he hits that milestone, they're not going to know when he's coming back. Certainly the White Sox could use some help at the back end of that bullpen. You'd have to figure that would be a trade deadline focus for them with how uh, Joe Kelly has not had much success so far this season. Yes, Kendall Graveman's been good. Yes, Ke- uh, Liam Hendricks has been great. But, uh, you know, they're missing the guy they thought they were going to have in Garrett Crochet. Now they're missing the guy they thought they were going to have in Aaron Bummer. Both of those for health reasons. And Joe Kelly has been far from the guy that they thought they were going to have as well. So uh, it, it you'd have to figure that uh, the White Sox would, would be looking for that. All contenders do right? The relief pitching is uh, a popular uh, acquisition for basically every team that's in the running or thinks it's going to be in the running at the trade deadline. Uh, I would expect the White Sox to be no different.
1: Last thing I got for you, Vinny, it's a non-serious question. Is there a rule that the White Sox can't wear their gray uniforms at home because they play well on the road? So it's a gimmick. I just need something to change at home. 17 wins, 24 losses. It's just unbelievable how poorly they play at home. I got to be
2: honest, there might be a rule. That would not surprise me if there was some sort of thing that you can't wear gray uh, at home. That would... Be very, you know, weird, ridiculous baseball nonsense, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, something that's been around since the, you know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt was president, but uh, we'll see. Uh, maybe that's, maybe that's not a bad idea. I should, I should, I should bring that up to somebody and see if that's uh, the way to solve this. Because, uh, you know, a few weeks ago it was, ah, you know, that's baseball. Sometimes you win at home, sometimes you don't. And now all of a sudden you are hearing from folks, man, we need to play better at home, man. It, you know, I, I think Tim Anderson said today, talking about yesterday's game, good to finally win one at home you know that's uh, that's something that uh, they want to do they they feed off the energy and hey I can tell you right now between last night the way that that game was yesterday uh, and the way the crowd was reacting to even tonight in the ninth inning the, the crowd was up they were playing Thunderstruck uh, and they were trying to squeeze like every little millisecond they could in between pitches uh, out, of, out of Thunderstruck to get people amped and uh, certainly uh, the energy was there uh, the White Sox like what happens uh, when they play at home. They just don't like the results of the games they've played at home. I'm glad you
0: brought up uh, a "Thunderstruck" though, because someone was asking what's your favorite ACDC song. So, uh, well, it's
2: I, no offense, but it is "Thunderstruck" is nowhere near the top of the list. Uh, I'm uh, if we're gonna go if we're gonna go, you know, the main ones that you've heard before. I'm a big "Highway to Hell" guy. I've got I've, I love that. That's their best album, in my opinion. I've got the, that one is probably my. Favorite greatest hit, if you will. Uh, But I love the album Powerage, which has a lot of uh, nice deep tracks on it. Uh, Up to My Neck in You is a good one right there. I really like that one.
0: Um, And then the other question was Dylan Cease or Andrew Chafin? Who has the best mustache?
2: It's a good question. Uh, Andrew Chafin certainly has had one for longer, and he's got kind of a whole... He's got kind of a whole hair thing going on, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. his hair and his mustache kind of go together. I don't know if he cut the hair if the mustache would, <laughs> would be there because it's kind of a total package, right? So maybe a little bit of an asterisk next to his, uh, his name in that, uh, in that category. Dylan Cease has been able to do a very good job with the mustache with just a quote-unquote normal haircut. Doesn't need the gimmick of the extra hair in order to make it work.
0: All right, final one: uh, Bon Scott, Dave Evans, or Brian Johnson—best AC/DC vocalist—and then we'll get you out of here.
2: I mean, it's Bon Scott in a landslide. I know, I know. Back in Black is the big uh, ac album that everybody knows and loves, and it is a great one. Don't get me wrong, but guys, Bon Scott and and Brian Johnson, in my opinion, we're talking major leagues versus AAA. There, that's that's oh, wow. that's, that's nothing. Mm. Yeah. That's yeah. Gavin
0: Sheets versus Andrew Vaughn there for you, uh, from my mouth, not yours. Uh, that's Vinny Duber. You can follow him on Twitter at Vinny Duber. He's the CHGO White Sox beat writer. We appreciate your time, Vinny.
1: All right, guys, have a good night.
0: You too.
2: You
1: uh, know who that is? It will be David Lee, David Lee Roth over Sammy Hagar. Hagar. Are we going to put in a? Uh, I see. Gary Sharone? Who? Exactly. Okay. Um, um, here's my thing. Here's my thing on this.
0: Like I, Bon Scott. Died. Currently not with um, us. And, and Brian Johnson did a great job replacing him. It's, it's totally different than David Lee Roth versus Sammy Hagar. Sammy Hagar was a, a travesty. My um, guy,
1: uh, Brendan McCaffrey, says they sound all alike. I think they do. And, the AC/DC song sounded like
0: oh that's well that, yeah i mean like he does a pretty good bon scott impersonation uh that's why brian johnson was in the band uh or at least uh, that's what i think because he does a pretty good uh brian johnson uh, impersonation anyways we got to talk to you about points bet points bet uh pick of the week would have been dylan cease to strike out seven tigers because he's just been doing that every time he goes out against the tigers can't give that to you now because that game's already happened but the best way to take advantage of a chgo pick of pick of the week is to download the Points Bet app and use code CHGO when you sign up. If you do that right now, you get two risk-free bets up to $2,000. That's not it. If you make a $50 or more first-time deposit, you receive a free CHGO membership, which unlocks all of our web content, and you'll even get a free shirt of your choice from CHGO Locker. That's $2,000 in free bets, a free CHGO membership, and a free t-shirt from the CHGO Locker, all for making more than a $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet. And if you're wondering what to put your money on with that $50 first-time deposit at PointsBet, why not take Jose Abreu to get a hit? Because he's been getting hits in, let's see, um, 11 straight games. I think it's up to 12, 12 now. now. Yeah. 12 straight games. So I think he's going to continue that. Jose Abreu looks pretty locked in. And I know people didn't love his ninth inning at bat. The guy has a lot of pressure on him. And I have a stat to, uh, to back that up. But Jose Abreu has been real consistent. I think he's batting 417 in those 12 games. So Jose Abreu to get a hit has been close to a lock if not a lock so that's your points bet pick of the week go to points bet use promo code chgo when you sign up uh when you after you download the points bet app to get those two risk-free bets and again if you use code chgo when you sign up uh, you'll get two risk-free bets up to two thousand dollars a free chgo membership and a free t-shirt from chgo locker again once the game starts don't just bet leave your bet life with points bet and if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800 gambler for crisis counseling and referral services
1: our guy luis de la rosa has a interesting question Would missing the playoffs be a good thing? No. To me, they're going to go through the motion and thinking they got a guaranteed ticket to October. Missing the playoffs will sting and put a fire in them. I, I think that here's the thing if the White Sox
0: made it to the playoffs and lost in the first round, they would still have a fire in them, or they should, because that's exactly what Lucas Giolito was saying after they lost to the Houston Astros. Um, That was the expectation for them to take another step. If they don't take another step, whether that be losing in the first round of the playoffs again or not making the playoffs again, things will change. A fire will happen in this team. Changes will need to happen because you can't have this type of failure. And if they don't, you as the White Sox fan is being let down, Taking them out behind the bushes. Like, I mean, you guys are absolutely getting the hood pulled over you. It's it would be a travesty to run an organization that way. Because this is the expectation for the organization. And if you feel to fail to meet expectations, things need to happen. It's called accountability. And we feel as White Sox fans and White Sox media members and observers that this team hasn't taken enough accountability in the media and for their mistakes. We haven't heard enough about the triple play, the first ever triple play, 8-5 triple play uh in, in baseball history. Uh the p- constant pickoffs at first base, we haven't heard uh, accountability for that. The consistent nauseating approach versus right-handed hitters, we haven't heard any accountability from that. And you haven't really heard any accountability from the manager. And you know, the accountability is usually shown by what's the end of the year result and how did you meet up to your yearly expectations. The White Sox are going to miss their expectations for the year, win-wise. And if they don't make the playoffs and advance to the second round or later, they'll be missing their true expectation for the year. That's a failure, and people should be fired. It should be Rick Hahn. It should be Tony La Russa. It should be Joe McEwing. It should be Daryl Boston. It should be Frank Minichino. The only person that should stay on this coaching staff or even in those upper management spots is Ethan Katz. That's the only guy doing his job currently, in my mind.
1: Yeah, and... I would love for them to miss the playoffs if it meant, like Sean says, accountability, and it meant house cleaning. Everybody gone. Every single body person gone, and Jerry Reinsler sells the team. That won't happen. Yeah, that's not happening. So, like, I'm rooting as a White Sox fan for them to make the playoffs, 100%. But not making the playoffs in a year where more, almost half the teams make the playoffs? No. Somebody— somebody has to get fired. Not little guys like Daryl Boston and Joe McEwing, even though they've deserved their firing. Rick Hahn, Tony Larusa, like Sean said. Kenny Williams can go too. Congra- Thank you for the championship, my man. I wear the hat all the time. This ain't it. 2005, awesome. But you're part of the front office that is failing currently. And if this team doesn't win now, it will fail for the year. So somebody has to roll. Some heads have to roll. And if that means Tony's just resigning, if that means that Rick is resigning, somebody has to go because you as a White Sox fan don't deserve that. You need accountability. You need somebody to say this is not our standard. And since it's not our standard, these people who said it, that they, this team would be going far lied to us and I have to go to the unemployment line, go somewhere else. Sorry, it's a tough game. That's what other teams do. But what so real we, teams do. Come on. I mean, Rick, Rick Hahn's been in this organization for 20
0: years, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but Rick Hahn didn't work in a previous, uh, I'm pretty sure, didn't work no. in a previous MLB organization. No, he right? did not.
1: He worked as a uh, an agent. agent yeah,
0: working contracts. So I, I don't know what Rick Hahn has proven to show that he can build an MLB caliber championship team. He has not proven anything. And I think Josh Nelson and Jim Margos had great points on the Sox Machine podcast recently where they said Rick Hahn's plan of rebuilding the White Sox has not been copied by anybody. You don't see anybody hiring White Sox coaches, front office people. That doesn't happen. Mainly because the White Sox are just hiring their former players. Um, I mean, you see it even down to the bulls and White Sox training fucking academy. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, The same thing of not taking accountability and being too loyal. That's Jerry Reinsdorf's biggest issue. And like they were saying, no one's copying Rick Hahn's plan. They're copying the Astros' plan. They're copying the Rays' plan. They're copying the Dodgers' plan. uh, But not even everyone has the budget uh, of the Dodgers'. No one's copying the White Sox because the White Sox way of doing this isn't working. And the White Sox can't fix their problems. The White Sox have had the same problems since 2020. They can't hit right-handed pitching. They have not been able to go up with a better approach in any game. And teams know how to beat them. And they can beat them with, you know, Bob (laughs) Brisket.
1: Do you know the last general manager the White Sox hired that didn't have previous experience as a front office man with that team, I want to say Herm Schneider because that's who. No, uh, they, General he's Manager. a trainer though, right? Yeah, he's yeah. a trainer. He's really with know. them forever. It's a guy named Larry Himes. Larry Himes was in the '80s. After the Hulk Harrelson fiasco, they hired Larry Himes. Him and another guy—I forgot his name right now. Somebody will put it on the board. They drafted. They drafted Alex Fernandez. They drafted Blackjack McHale. They drafted Rob Ventura, and some guy named Frank Thomas. Who? He was immediately fired pretty much after that. He traded for Sammy Sosa to the White Sox from Texas, traded away Harold Baines, maybe one of the reasons why he got fired because Jerry Reinsdorf loves Harold Baines, immediately uh, retired his number. That was the last guy. Ron Schuler's a company guy, comes in after that, works until 2000. That playoff series, he resigns. They immediately give the job to Kenny Williams over Dan Evans. Dan Evans leaves, Kenny Williams Continues, wins a World Series, then retires himself. Pretty much goes upstairs to do nothing. And now it's Rick Hahn's job, who was the assistant general manager. And once Rick Hahn leaves, yes, Al Goldis, thank you. Uh, once Rick Hahn leaves, it's going to be Jeremy Haber's job, who is the assistant general manager. Now it's an insular thing. They're minor or league. It's co- Chris coor- Gets, yeah, they're minor league coordinators. Chris Gets, who never did the job before, just keep on doing this stuff where we keep on having the same people. Coming in, the managers, every single manager you know. Well, and- Tony had the job before. Ricky Renteria was on the staff with Robin Ventura. Robin Ventura was coaxed into this job. Ozzie was a, a coach. They had to, They Jerry Ryan had to talk to Kenny Williams to say, hey, give him a shot. That's an insular hire. The last one I think they had an outside guy was Jerry Emanuel. He wasn't great. But still, all of this, all of this is because of the White Sox way. It's all one big-ass bubble. You don't get fired. And you can, get a, you can get a promotion to the next level and you're going to do it the same shitty White Sox way. I think the, the, the current guys
0: in the organization who have like some sort of coaching job that haven't been on the White Sox or played for the White Sox. I think McEwing didn't play for the White Sox. Uh, I don't think Minakito played for the White Sox. I don't think Wes Helms played for the White Sox. But, I mean, even Nicky fucking Delmonico is getting, you know, shot being the tri- single-A coach. You Justin see Chris, Gersley. Chris Johnson as well. Chris Johnson signed a minor league deal with them. He's now the triple-A coach that everyone yeah. wants to promote. I mean, again,
1: it's just another insular hire. Yeah. It's just ridiculous. This is one of the reasons why we don't win. One of the main reasons why we don't win is because we believe the White Sox believe in their system and they don't talk to anybody else. They just, as you were saying with Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson, they think that this is the way to do it. And everybody in the Major Leagues is like, no, we're good. We're really good. That's garbage. Yeah. So we're not firing we're not uh, following that track. They should have done the Cubs thing. Drafted a bunch of people, make sure that they hit, and then once they don't have a spot in their major league roster, they supplement that by going out to free agency. Now, Jason Hayward wasn't great. He won a World Series for him. Same thing with John Lackey. Same thing with John Laster. They should have followed that one. I would have taken five out of six years in the playoffs. One nice. World Series championship, three straight CSs. Yeah, I would have taken that.
0: No, it's not bad life. Uh, you, your question earlier, too, about can they wear road uniforms. Uh, this is me looking in the rules and what I could find. All players on a team must wear identical uniforms during a game. So that doesn't rule it out that they can't. And then the league office might require that a team have a single uniform for all games or requires that a team have a single uniform white home uniform and a single non-white away uniform. But with the elimination of separate American League and National League administrations, this rule is most often seen used in the minor leagues. So I don't think that there is a rule as long as the other team is wearing white or a non-white color that doesn't go with gray. I I think that they could possibly wear it at home. I I don't think there's a specific rule saying they can't wear their road jerseys at home. And I don't understand why,
1: like, I understand how basketball you would want to do that. In football, you would want to not wear the same, similar uniforms. But baseball, it doesn't matter. You're pitching to the other guy. There's no confusion that, oh, am I playing to my own guy? No. So, yeah, wear the great uniforms. Hell, just as a gimmick, I know it's different. Every night on a homestand, you're in hotels. Hey, if you want to win, (laughs) do something different. Don't just keep on doing the same thing do something different here cancel batting practice do batting practice like you do on the road do something that you're doing cuz something's happening on the road give, give where it's the, winning give where you're the, winning give
0: the, give the player who hits the most home runs in batting practice $500 i don't care <laughs> like i let, let's look at this stuff cuz i mean this is just more continuation because not only have they've had lifelong or at least a lo- life life or a long Ownership long problems yep. uh, with with you know the way Jerry Reinsdorf has run this organization. Uh, they they've had season long issues and, and multiple season long issues of hitting right handed pitching. And here comes uh, what, what's his name, Bill Braxton. Um, yeah, Yeah. Bill Braxton. Uh, Bill Braxton had a phenomenal game for the Tigers. Uh, the White Sox put 17 balls in play against Bo Brisky, and they hit six sliders uh, for their balls in play. Uh, they averaged an exit velocity of 84.8 <sighs> miles per hour. And here's the White Sox. Again, they only put one fastball in play. One. Wow. One fastball wow. in play off of uh, Bill Bixby. And the other ones, all the other balls that they put in play were under or below the belt. The White Sox did not take advantage of lifting the ball, and that's why they had one hit, one hit that was defined as a barrel. That was Aloy Jimenez, um, I think, let me find it, Aloy Jimenez uh, hitting a a line-out, 107-mile-per-hour line-out at 18 degrees. That's not a home run, but it's a barrel. And Bo Bo Brisket, or Bo Brisky. Uh, Before coming into this game, I think he allowed uh, 8.9 barrels per plate appearances. Uh, The MLB average Mm. is around four. So the White Sox got one off that guy, and they put 17 balls in play. And the main reason was just because they can't hit anything that is low in the zone. And, and I want to go to this. Uh, I talked about the heart zone yesterday yes, you did. and kind of the White Sox taking advantage of that inner square in the strike zone, kind of anything that you define as middle, uh, whether it be middle, middle, uh, middle up, middle in, middle down, right. Just anything kind of in the middle of the plate, anything that would be clearly called a strike. I want to go to the different zones. So the heart zone is one through nine. If you're watching on YouTube, um, but there's also some of the lower spots. So the heart the that square that's in within the square is divided into three boxes and the lower boxes are seven, eight, and nine. So we're gonna look at the lower middle in pitches, and then we're also gonna look at the ones that exactly where Bo Brisky was throwing today, the 17, 18, and 19 zones. So kind of the lower half of the strike zone is where we're looking. The White Sox are ninth in batting average versus those pitches this year at 261. Their on base is 14th in the league at 284. Their isolated power, which is slugging minus batting average. So you see the White Sox have the ninth best batting average. If you subtract their batting average from their slugging percentage, you get the isolated power stat. They're 25th in the league. That's worse than the Royals. Their average launch angle is five degrees, that's 22nd in the league. Their average distance is 139 feet. That's 25th, and that's barely out of the infield. And their run value versus pitches just in that zone is negative 3.5. That's 21st in the league. You can just pitch the White Sox low in the zone, and they are just the Kansas City Royals. That is what this team does. And this team, and I see some people think they're entitled or something, and you see the White Sox and A.J. Pollock saying this is unexplainable. It's not unexplainable. This is the same damn issues that you've been having this entire year. And I see people getting upset with Jose Abreu's at bat in the ninth inning, him chasing a slider up and away. But Jose Abreu is the only guy that's hitting on this team. And Jose Abreu is the only one that has actually put a good effort and good approach into facing this and fixing these problems for the White Sox through this entire year. That's why his walk rate is up and it's why his home run rate is down because all of those pitches, typically sliders as you saw from Bo Brisky today, are usually low and away. That's a tough pitch to hit deep. That's why Luis Robert taking home runs to to right-center field early on in the season was so great to see because he has that type of next-level power. Jose Abreu, his power is declining a little bit, but he still has great bat speed, and he still has a ton of strength to hit the ball hard as hell, and that's why he's been getting hits. That's why he's on a 12-game hit streak right now because he has the right approach. I want to go to this. Right now, Jose Abreu has 38 RBIs. He's been on the team since 2014. So we're going to go through and go to the game point of each year where he reached 38 RBIs. Mm -hmm. In 2014, it took him 40 games. In 2015, it took him 55 games. Mm -hmm. 2016, it took him 64 games. 2017, it took him 65. In 2018, it took him 62. 2019, it took him 45. In 2020, it took him 39. In 2021, it took him 43. And in 2022, it took him 78 games. Mm -hmm. That is the longest to reach 38 RBIs for Jose Abreu. Part of that is because of the the, the, the home run issue. Uh, he hasn't been hitting the same amount of home runs, but this is also the same team that just can't drive in runs. And, and, and part of that is because of their approach, lack of guys getting on and, I think Jose Abreu feels this enormous pressure because he is the guy. He is supposed to be the guy coming through in these moments, and no one else is. I see that they're, you know, sacrifice bunting to have Tim Anderson come up. Tim hasn't been that guy. Nope. Tim hasn't been driving in runs this year. AJ Pollock definitely hasn't been that guy. And Luis Robert was your best chance today, and that's why he hit that double. Because Mm -hmm. Luis Robert has been having a really good approach in the past couple games, and that's what we've been talking about. He saw 19 pitches today, Luis Robert. He fouled off or put 11 balls in play. So he he really wasn't overmatched at any point. He had one whiff, and he struck out on that pitch. It was a really nice uh, sinker by Brisky. But outside of that, Luis Robert was patient. He did damage, and he drove in the only run for the White Sox today. So really, you can look at Jose Abreu and Luis Robert having the best plate approaches in the past week for the White Sox. And outside of that, you really can't look at anyone outside of maybe Josh Harrison that's been having a good plate approach.
1: That's what we say all the time about Jose Abreu, and people bristle at it. RBIs are team dependent. Like, Jose Abreu can only drive himself in by hitting the ball over the fence. That's the only time he can drive himself in. So all the rest of those RBIs, what Sean just read out, that's because people were getting on in front of him, and Jose was getting the job done. Not getting on as much before before Jose Abreu, not as not at the clip that he is this year. So yeah, it's tough when you see Jose only thirty eight RBIs. A guy that is you could clock in every year, thirty home runs, hundred RBI. This year is a different thing. And for the White Sox to go far, they need people to get on before Jose Abreu because know that ninth inning at bat is not the norm. That's the exception. You know Jose more often than not will come through for you in a big-time RBI spot, especially with only one out. So, yes, he struck out, and it looked like a bad at-bat. For the most part, I give Jose Abreu the longest leash because he's done so much for this team. So if he gets picked off at first base, I don't like it, but I'm not going to kill him because he doesn't do stuff like that often. And him struggling to drive in a run or two in the ninth inning – while it's disappointing and the at bat wasn't great, I'm gonna get on his ass too tough on that one. And, and yeah, he failed. I understand that sometimes you have have that happen. Jose Abreu has earned enough of my uh, benefit of the doubt and my fandom for me to say okay, it, was, it wasn't great, but it was. Well, why has he? Why has he earned that? Because he comes through more often than not. Well, and because he plays every day, he's accountable. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And I see someone saying like Jose needs a day off, but that's a part of his accountability. Yeah, that's a part of his leadership. He is should. being out there every single damn day. You'll either see him in the lineup or forcing his name into the lineup because that's his leadership. He wants to be out there. I'd rather have that guy. If you're talking about this team lacking effort and lacking intensity, well, you have the most intense player, or one of the most intense players on this roster, and Jose Abreu. Like, I mean, this is what you need from this and team. And he
1: doesn't need a day off. He's on a 12-game hitting streak. He's he has a day off after he doesn't get a hit in that game. You saw what Jose did today. He got a hit on a ball that was sinking low. I think it was either a slider or a changeup. He got the hit, the second hit of the game, then immediately got picked off. But, no, he's not worn out. Jose Abreu is no, a warrior. Worn out. He's he worn is out a hurt. damn warrior. He is hitting the ball well. He's doing a great job. Currently, especially versus this Tigers team this year, in a nine seventeen slugging percentage coming into this game. So well, he's worn out. So so calm down, Tom. No, I got he's, you. He's I got you out. with all your stuff. Cool. Jose Abreu tells you when he's worn out. That's it. That's all. So Jose Abreu has earned whatever he wants. He wants to come back next year. Bring him back. He doesn't
0: bid him do. Over the past 15 games, he's raised his batting average from 259 to 290. He's hit four seventeen on the past fifteen games. He doesn't need. He's, he's the off. only player. I could. I don't even need to look at the stats. He's got an, an OPS above a thousand in the past fifteen games. I think maybe Luis Robert is the only other guy that might even be
1: over eight hundred. Sebi Savala might be close. Sebi might be close, but he doesn't. <laughs> That's get the, true. He doesn't get the at bat in the ninth inning because it's Luria. time. time.
0: Yeah, because he was going to come, home, come See, this through the is home the run. Because thing, Larry
1: Garcia has proved that he can hit any type of velocity. And I know we're over time right now. Wow, we are way over time. Are we? Um, I mean, we're on past the hour. But Oops. I'm the inconsistency of Tony's logic. Remember a couple of days ago, he's talking about Lurie, and I saw something, and he and I agree with him. Like, he had those good at-bats, and he was all good, and that's why I bet, let him bet in the ninth inning. He didn't say that same thing about Reese McGuire where he's bunting the ball in the sixth inning. The, The logic, the process is not the same. He's going against what he's saying. And Lurie did not deserve that at bat over Sebi Zavala. I don't know who is advising Tony, if anybody is, but somebody has to yell, put Sebi in the game. Sebi's a better hitter than Lurie Garcia. Please, Jesus, put that man in the game. Now, if he gets out, he gets out, but it's the right move. Sebi Zavala in the last 16 games, a 9.56 OPS. Sebi damn ah. Zavala, and you got him on the bench. And He the thing three is three homers in a game. Come on, guys. And, and the thing is, he has to come in the game anyways. If you tie that game up, he has to come oh in the game God. in the 10th oh. inning. So why, And then you lose Lurie. So what the hell?
0: And here's the, here's the other thing, too. And I, These people, I, we, I know we, we, we this might seem God like we're, Tony. we're getting something from, from Vinny or something. I have never talked to Vinny uh, about this, and, and Vinny mentioned in that hit that you know he you know Tony really wasn't asked about why Sebi didn't hit for Leary there. Um, and I see people saying, you know, why are why are the beat writers in this pool so soft on Tony Larusa? I don't know if they're soft. I just think you know, what are you expecting to hear from him? Because Tony Larusa is so damn defensive. He's so defensive. It's not him explaining himself; it's him dis- defending himself and feeling offended anytime. And this is just the vibe I get. This is not what Vinny's saying or any of the beat writers. I'm not talking to any of them uh, right about this. This is just the vibe I'm getting. Why ask a question when you know you're just going to get a horrible answer from the guy? The guy's not giving thoughtful answers. It's just more well because I'm right because I because I wrote the book. You know you know the book of rules. I wrote it 40 years ago. Like I mean, you're not going to get a thoughtful. Uh, logic-based answer from Tony La Russa. It's all about his baseball gut. And that baseball gut's been procuring for 40 years at this point. And it's it's rotten at this point. I don't think he's got a good baseball brain. And and I don't think he can explain it to you. I, again, go back to the Trey Turner thing. I mean, I wanted him fired at that point because he clearly showed that he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. He couldn't explain that. We yeah. ex- we explained it better than he did why he was wrong. Yeah, and, and I, I think that the beat reporters at this point... What are you going to get from Tony Roos if you ask about Seb Zavala? Nothing. You're not going to get anything asking that question.
1: I just think he has no accountability. He knows he's the kingmaker. He knows no one's going to question him with the White Sox. Rick's not going to say anything to him. Kenny's not going to say a damn word to him. So he can do whatever the hell he wants. And then he could say, You guys never played baseball and say that shit to the media. And everyone's like, yeah, we never played baseball at the major league level, but did you? I mean, I know you did, but you don't seem like it with the damn moves you're making. As I said, I'm a 43-year-old dude that never played past freshman year, and I know I'm a better manager, field manager, than Tony La Russa. 100% I know I'm better than him. I could go moves way in front of him and run, run circles around him. He's terrible at in-game managing. If I can do that, and you guys who are listening and watching can do that, why has he got the job? And I, I see this with, you know, Edward,
0: and I, I, it's a fair point. He's uh, He still needs to be asked, otherwise, why bother having the interview at all? But I think Tony just doesn't want to have the interview. So t- Tony's going to be confrontational. He's going to be aggressive. He's going to be weird. He's going to have his Tony quirks. And, and that's just going to be it. And you're trying to battle through and get the best uh, out of Tony LaRussa and I. I don't know what it's like to cover Tony La Russa, but if I was to- covering Tony La Russa, I think I probably would have jumped out of the press box by now. Oh, yeah. I, if, if I had to cover this game, if I had to go into the locker room and ask Tony another, you know, more questions about a two-to-one loss, another game where you guys aren't walking and aren't hitting, I have to go ask him another question? Like, you know, he's not going to give me an answer. It's not a thoughtful answer. Oh, we, got, we need to fix the process. Guys need to stop. You know, it's, it's not even about hitting home runs. It's all about the process. Like, Tony's just going to drone on and just try to end it as soon as possible. And maybe you need to start asking better questions, but I don't think you're going to get anything from him. I don't think you're going to get thoughtful answers from Tony LaRusso. I've not heard any thoughtful response from Tony LaRusso at his time as the general, as, as the manager for the White Sox. I haven't heard it.
1: Not at all. I've not understood. Like, you know, sometimes you say things and you're very, well, me, you're very demonstrative about it and you're like, this is this, and I don't understand why they're doing this. And then it plays on and there's like, okay, now I understand why that happened and why that person was hired. I have not seen one reason why Tony La Russa was hired. There's never been a time like he gives the White Sox a strategic uh, advantage over every other team. He does this and the other manager does that. Tony La Russa is superior. I haven't seen it one time in his uh, year and a half of managing with the White Sox. Not one time. It's, it's really bad. Like he's done good things, but I never said, "Okay, I got it, I got it." Yes, I was wrong about the Tony Larusa hiring. Winning no. the division was is a gimme last year, a gimme this year. So, what is he doing? What is he, What does he bring to the table? Yes, and people keep on asking, "Do you want to find that?" I did that show. What did that show? What three weeks ago? Mm-hmm. That from there on, yes. Still, if I give Tony kudos, I still think he should be fired. That is 100% for the rest of the year. Even if they win the goddamn division, he should be fired. I don't even know how we got to this point, but, but we did. Uh, and if you could
0: scroll up right now, Steven, I just got one more final thing, and we'll, we'll end it here. Uh, but it was from James Owen, and James said, uh, maybe TLR would get more negative national press if he has asked those tough questions and stays defensive. Negative press would be a good thing. He's not going to get defensive enough about, you know, the Leury over Sebi pinch hit at, at this point. And, and the only thing that is truly going to expose him and get that national press is if he makes a, a huge mistake like the Trey Turner thing or like, you know, making Liam Hendricks be the pinch runner uh, in Cincinnati mm-hmm. in, in 2021. I mean, those are the two moments that you're probably going to get uh, uh, from Tony and him not knowing the rules like that. That should have been bad enough for me in 2021, period. It should have been enough. I, I said right then you should have fired him. I, I just, you're not going to be, nothing's going to be negative enough for Jerry Reinsdorf to truly move on from Tony LaRusa unless he commits a crime or something like that. Like, unless it's too much for the team. But if he's just going to be making bad decisions in the dugout, he will be allowed to do that because there's no accountability for the manager from the owner, and there's no accountability for the manager on the players. And that's why things haven't changed. In my mind, that's why this team's 39 and 42. In my mind, that's why they're losing two to one to Bob Brisket in my mind. That's it. Just because there's no accountability throughout this entire organization.
1: Even if he gets another DUI, Steve Sanders, I think he's fine. He doesn't get fired. They knew about the DUI when he got hired. No, well, I, I, I well, think Jerry Reinsdorf knew about it.
0: If he, this is a weird conversation to have. It's I, not he, weird. If, he's had if, two. I know, but if he if he got a third one, I think that would be negative enough where I think he would be removed as I think he would be removed as the manager. I think if he's making mistakes off the field, I think that definitely puts his job in jeopardy. But if he's just continuing to make mistakes on the field and this team's underperforming, I, I don't think he will be fired uh, during the season. So that, that's it. I, I mean, I I really don't think, uh, you know that anything is going to happen. And I don't think Tony La Russa, I really don't see a path where Tony La Russa is not the manager in 2022 or, or being fired in mid, in the middle of the season in 2022, no matter what happens uh, because they're, they're not going to sell. They're not going to have this fire sell at the trade deadline. They're not going to fire their manager and they're not going to take these drastic steps. Um, they don't have enough to buy and be this next uh, level team and go out and buy it, you know, six players and totally rehaul the roster. They might get one or two pieces, and that's it that's all they can afford this is a roster relying on what they have that's relying on Tony Larusa, relying on Rick Hahn relying on those 26 guys that are in the the the, the locker room right now all the players in the minor leagues right and then maybe maybe they can turn some of those players into new players and help out the 26-man roster but you know maybe it's one or two guys but but that's really it and it's disheartening to be at this point 82 games into the season but that's where we are. We will have a pregame for you tomorrow at 6.30. It is Lucas Giolito versus Tariq
1: Skubo. Skubo. We will have We're gonna fun. We're going to be here on a Friday night. We will.
0: Yay. We'll be up here. It'll be a fun Friday. Uh, and, so, oh, yeah.
1: I forgot to tell you, No one on the uh, Discord jumped on my my ticket I have for tomorrow's game. No, there you go. If you want a ticket for Friday night's game, I have one singular ticket. I will not be there. It's in the one eleven section. First person who hits me up in my DMs, actor wall 23 gets the ticket. That's where you follow him. He's the CHGO White Sox community leader. He's
0: Herb Lawrence, again, at Eckerwall23 is where you can follow him. I'm Sean Anderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. We appreciate everyone hanging out with us in the YouTube live chat. Fred, Clark, Greg, Dave, Jesus, Mr. C, all you guys, our guy Wayne, everyone hanging out for us. We really do appreciate it. We appreciate you podcast listeners as well. We appreciate Vinny Duber joining us from Guaranteed Rate Field. Uh, he, you can follow him on Twitter at Vinnie Duber. He's a CHGO White Sox beat writer. But that's going to do it for the the CHGO White Sox podcast. White Sox lose 2-1 to one to the Tigers and fall to 39-42 on the year. We'll have a 6.30 p.m. pregame show for you on Friday and a postgame to follow Lucas Giolito versus Tariq Scooble. You can follow the show on Twitter at CHGO underscore White Sox. For Steven Nicholas, our fantastic, fantastic producer, we want to thank Fleetwood Mac for their 1979 album, Tusk. We'll see you tomorrow. Go White Sox.